Welcome to The Gathering Place, a Blessed is She podcast. We're so glad you're here. Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, Beth. Hey, Jenna. How are you? Well, I'm very excited. Still excited. (laughs) I was excited when we got on the call. I maintain the same level. Nay, my excitement has exceeded what it previously was because Matt Frad is joining us. Welcome, Matt Frad. That's very kind of you. Thanks for inviting me. Has it been said that your name is one that is said like your first and last name said together? Do you know what I'm saying? Like not just Matt, but Matt Frad. Yeah, no, totally, totally. In fact, I think it was there's an apologist at Catholic Answers named Jimmy Aiken. He named me, essentially, because I was putting out my first book, and I was saying to Jimmy, should I go by Matthew Frad or Matt Frad? And Jimmy, who's just like the most brilliant guy you've ever met, went, hmm, Matt Frad. I like the double dental stop, so let's go with Matt Frad. And I think because of that, it just kind of rolls off your tongue. People often call me Matt Frad. There yeah. you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matt, would you mind introducing yourself to anyone who is not familiar yeah. with you yet? Absolutely. I am an Australian who lives in Steubenville, Ohio. I married a beautiful American woman. We have four children. We've been married 15 years this year. Um, I work for a time with Catholic Answers as an apologist. Uh, I've written and spoken out about the dangers of pornography. But I guess most recently, I suppose I'm most known for my podcast, Pints with Aquinas, which is, how, how would I describe that? It's sort of like bringing bringing the angelic doctor out of the ivory tower of academia to chat with me, the riffraff, and you, you know, just to kind of like, how do we get access to this great mind in the church? I don't consider myself an intellectual. I'd consider myself a studious amateur, but I think I do a pretty good job, and so do my guests, at kind of breaking down the wisdom of the church, usually through through the atomistic lens. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have called you an amateur, nor... What I have called you riffraff. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't, I don't mean to, I'm not saying it to be disparaging. Aquinas uh, contrasts studiousness with curiosity. He says curiosity is a sin, always a sin. Uh, studiousness is, is the opposite of that. So curiosity would be like scrolling through your Twitter feed because you're trying to dissociate or neglect your children or something. Um, studiousness is like applying your mind to what you ought to be applying it to and having a hunger for that i suppose proper hunger it's like a proper intellectual hunger that'd be a good way to describe it so you could say like studiousness is to eating healthy what as curiosity is to like binging mcdonald's or something speaking of studiousness (laughs) we wrote a little book on the virtues for kids it's called rise up anyway studiousness was one of the virtues we wrote on so maybe i need to read that Ah. chapter so glad it wasn't curiosity because if it was you'd feel terrible right now so true. We would have to take back the whole book. Rewrite. Rewrite. <laughs> Actually, that was very helpful for me because I remember reading Rise Up and thinking, studiousness, huh? But that was very helpful. Thanks, Matt. Or should I say, thanks, Matt, Fred. There you go. Matt, I have really enjoyed your podcast. I really enjoy long form stuff. And I heard you recently share that you've been getting letters. People have been reaching out to you, having either come back to the faith or um, discover the faith for the first time because of that aspect of your ministry. I know you're doing so much and, and praise God, mm-hmm. you'll see the fruits of that in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if you could share with us a bit about Pints with Aquinas, how it got started and, and your heart behind it. 
Yeah, well, I'm sure you'll probably too receive a lot of emails from people, you know, converting, coming to the faith. I imagine most of us do in this sort of online space. It's so strange, you know, like I'm actually speaking less, traveling and speaking less because, you know, sometimes I'll travel and speak to like 50 people, but I could do a live stream and I've got like 500 right there at least, you know, and it's just like, ah, it's hard to justify. Although I know there, of course, there is, of course, merit to going out and being in flesh and blood. But uh, my point is just that you get such a wide, diverse audience. And so because of that, yeah, we've, we really have. It's, I, I'm, I'm really not being hyperbolic. I think at this point, over the last several months, we've been getting emails weekly from people saying they're converting. Yeah, it's amazing. It's glory to Jesus Christ. If he can use a knucklehead like me and my guests to, to help, you know, beautiful. Um, okay, so Pines with Aquinas started just before Trump started, or just before Trump was president. So 2000 and, when was that, 15? 16? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Yeah, so it's been going for a while now, right? Like at least five years. It started out just as an audio podcast, but now we've incorporated video. And it got started because I was trying to do get some extra credit for a master's class I was taking at the time, and it seemed to have just taken off. So that's why. That's, that's how it happened. Wow. And was your heart behind it? As you said, it was really unpacking Aquinas and... Yeah, totally. It definitely was. I, I, I spoke to a friend of mine. I said, I want to do a podcast where you like discuss the big questions. Like one of the things I love to do is, is have a beer and chat with someone. I love like being at a pub and there's a woman who's had three beers and she's wondering why her daughter hates her. And for some reason, she's telling you about it. You're like, all right, let's do this. I don't appreciate the drunkenness, but you know what I mean? I love that in Vino Veritas, where there is, where there is wine, there is truth. And I, I love that. And I've always loved just having good discussions. So when I wanted to do a podcast, I thought, well, it would be cool to base it around Aquinas since he has addressed almost every issue you can imagine. Um, and in a cool kind of debate format, if people are familiar with the writings of Aquinas, which makes it fun. You get to see opposing views. So I called my best friend and I said, what should I call it? And he said, how about the Aquinas return? Like you're playing a game of tennis and he's returning it back to you. So I hung up on him and we haven't spoken since. So we went with pints with Aquinas. And Matt, your, your personal interest in St. Thomas Aquinas, how did you meet him? Mm. Where did that come from? I did my undergrad and master's in philosophy. Um, I'd say there was a sort of emphasis in my master's on Thomistic philosophy. Just love the guy. I've come up with this way of formulating it. You could say Augustine is beautiful like a garden is beautiful, and Aquinas is beautiful like a board game instruction manual is beautiful. There's not a word wasted there is no ambiguity allowed. He says more in a page than many modern theologians would say in a book or two. He just gets right to the point, and I've always found him utterly convincing. I love that he steel mans as opposed to straw mans his opponent's arguments before responding to them. The more I've learned about him, the more I've loved him. It doesn't mean I'm not willing to disagree with him or throw out something he thought was true if I think it was false. It's just I think he's a master and sitting at his feet's a good idea, as multiple popes have told us. I find it fascinating that the way that we evangelize or talk about the Lord or the church is typically the way that we fell in love with the Lord or the church. Has that been your experience that that St. Thomas Aquinas had a hand in your conversion or, or deeper conversion, and that's why you want to share him with others? That's a great question. I, I, I think it might be the latter. It might be a deeper conversion. I was an agnostic in my teenage years, kind of thought that 
people, they would say, oh, I prayed and I felt very whatever, peaceful. And I would think, but that's kind of like when you journal, right? It's like you journal, you get your thoughts out, you feel better. So this feeling people are ascribing to prayer is just a sort of natural response to getting your thoughts out there. So I had different kind of natural explanations. But I would say that my prayer, my encounter with Christ and my my conversion when I was 17 years old wasn't intellectual so much. It was more, it was an encounter. It was really an encounter with a person who, when I met him, my heart began defrosting and I began feeling things I hadn't felt before. I suppose after that, I had a lot of people try to object to the faith. And it was at that point I got interested in, is there a rational basis for this? And how do I respond to people? Yeah, I think many times, well, for me, I'm always wanting people to just meet Jesus. I'm always wanting them to have an encounter with him because he's undeniable. When you meet him, when mm. you truly encounter that that personal and profound love and truth. But oftentimes there are many obstacles or objections to faith, to the church, to Jesus himself. I think it's important that we have language, that we have um, we have some of those answers like St. Thomas Aquinas gave you that framework in order to meet people where they're at. We can't always give them the encounter. So we do need to be formed. Yeah, and Aquinas refers to these as the preambles of faith. So according to Aquinas, God's existence is not a matter of faith. We don't need God to reveal his existence to us in order to know it. We can know it apart from faith altogether. Now, he says that's not to stop someone from having faith in God's existence because of revelation, but just that we don't need revelation to have faith in God, uh, to become to know he exists. So um, that's more of a philosophical question, Aquinas would say. So, yeah, I think like one of the roles of apologetics is it declutters that pathway to faith. You know, those little obstacles in your way, you know, you might see faith as something rather like old white haired women do because they're sensitive and close to death or something. Or you may have had some tragic experience in your own life and don't know how the hell to square that with the existence of an all-loving God. And so, you know, if these things are in the way, you'd be less likely to walk down the path, I suppose. So apologetics can help overturn them and clear them out of the way. It's so interesting. My husband and I share a really similar spirituality. We're both very sanguine. Like faith comes fairly easily to just believe and we don't necessarily need to know all of the answers. Um, I don't know if that's like the best explanation of a thing when we probably should have an expert on. We need to have Claire back on. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, but it's fascinating to experience our kids who are one of them in particular is very different than we are. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it does not come easily to her at all. It's, it's mm-hmm. like when we're talking, she thinks we're speaking a different language. I'm trying to explain to her, this is what I feel in prayer, or the Lord will speak to you in this way through scripture, et cetera. And she's like, it's just, I'm just reading a book. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, there's such a disconnect. And she's a lover of reading. Mm-hmm. I, I tell her, you love to read. You use your imagination when you're reading and et cetera. But my point is, it's been fascinating to come face to face with a person who approaches the faith or wants to understand the faith differently than I needed or I need right now. Mm -hmm. And it's been a really eye-opening experience to recognize that I want to have more answers for her, Mm -hmm. that I I do want to be more formed to teach her 
mostly I want to buy her like a Cliff Notes version of Thomas Aquinas so she can understand everything oh, and and, and yeah. reason. And I don't know. Yeah. So it's just been really interesting to recognize that not everyone is going to experience the mm-hmm. faith in the same way that mm-hmm. I do. Not that you asked me for advice, but I think encouraging children to ask questions and that God gave us an intellect so that we can come to know many things, many things about him, many things about the external world, and that we should never believe something that's unreasonable. And so all the things that God has revealed to us about himself may be beyond the grasp of reason, but they don't contradict it. Questions are good so long as so long as once we have the answer, we have the courage to die for that thing or to hold fast to that thing. We don't want to ask questions in order to avoid responsibility or to prolong responsibility, but we want to ask questions so that we can know truth and live from that place, yeah. I'm still thinking about that distinction you made about unreasonable. Mm-hmm. And having just celebrated the Feast of Corpus Christi, I think a lot of people would say belief in the Eucharist is unreasonable. How would you talk someone through that? Yeah, so... First, I would, I would say this, trying to explain, say, transubstantiation to somebody who doesn't believe in God's existence is a bit like trying to explain advanced algebra to somebody who denies basic arithmetic. I'm not calling atheists stupid or anything like that. I'm just saying there's a few more steps that need to be filled in, and it's no wonder that this wouldn't make sense if you've kind of denied the existence of God, for example. Prove to me that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. It's like, well, do you believe in God? No. Well, okay, we need to maybe back up, because if God doesn't exist, then there is no way that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. But, uh, I mean, one of the ways that Aquinas does this, like, how do you explain that Jesus Christ is present in the Eucharist, but it tastes like bread and it looks like bread and smells like bread? And um, the church has explained this through the language of transubstantiation. So whenever we think of something, that thing has a substance, what makes it to be the thing that it is, and then it has accidental qualities. So my hair length and my beard color and my whatever shoes I might be wearing are sort of accidental to who I am. I could change those things and the substance would remain. So the church has explained, as you know, that at, at the act of consecration, the accidents remain of bread, but the substance changes. So what was bread is no longer bread. I mean, there's probably a number of objections someone might have to the Eucharist, but that would be sort of one way to begin responding. The priest at um, the mass I went to shared that. And I just thought it was so beautiful. I just love when not that priests like talk to us like we're stupid and I'm going to explain these basics of the faith to you. But when they act like they believe it, (laughs) it's like there's nothing more compelling. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, Matt, I just want to say one of the main reasons I really wanted to have you on, ask you to come on was as Beth shared, we've been talking this whole season about evangelization and really just sharing the faith, sharing the Lord with people. You keep using that word compelling, and that's something that that I'm feeling really drawn to, this idea of compelling people to know about the Lord, compelling people to know Jesus Christ as Messiah, to know about the church, to know about the beauty of our faith. And we've just been sharing again from our own personal experiences of what has brought us into the faith and and how we like to talk about the Lord. And I just think you share about him in a totally different way 
than I do. Like I said, I, I really struggle with with talking about um, reason and and that sort of thing when I'm when I'm sharing about the faith, especially to my children. I just am so grateful for your work, for your uh, sharing about the Lord in the way that you do, because it brings a different perspective than what we're doing, than what other people are doing, and there's such great value. Yeah in all of the different ways that each one of us expresses Amen. our yeah. faith. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, can I just kind of piggyback on that? I think sometimes within the church, we can be critical of a particular ministry or spokesperson or evangelist because he or that thing doesn't answer the issues we think need to be answered. But there are a whole host of issues that need to be answered, and something or some group or some apostolate doesn't need to be the answers to everything in order to be the answers to something. I mean, provided that they're not teaching heresy, it's okay that I focus on people who are more interested in Aquinas and philosophy, and that others focus on whatever drives them. It's a beautiful thing being all things to all people, as it were. Matt, I'm still thinking about what you shared about the Eucharist, mm. that if we were to back it up with people, mm. many times the you know, baseline question really is about the existence of God. Um, and I think mm-hmm. sometimes we as Catholics, uh, practicing Catholics, can be a little caught up in the particulars of uh, defending particulars of the faith. And we get kind of nervous about being able to articulate it. But many times so much, I think, comes down to, do you believe that God is real? And I I just wondered if you would be willing to share maybe St. Thomas Aquinas's five reasons for the existence of God. I don't know if that's a terrible question and there's not time for that. But Well, the only thing that's difficult about sharing... Aquinas's five ways is that they depend on Aristotelian metaphysical terminology, which takes some explaining. There are other arguments that are employed today that are more popular. Doesn't mean they're better. Like, so for instance, one that Dr. William Lane Craig, who's an evangelical apologist, puts forward is certainly not a new argument, but it's something he's worked on. It's called the Kalam cosmological argument. And it's a deductive argument, which means it's uh, two two premises and a conclusion. And it says basically that everything which begins to exist has a cause. And the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. So that would be an argument that has clear terms, uh, valid logic. If the premises are more plausibly true than their negation, then it follows that there must be a cause to the universe. Uh, now, then you would have to look at each premise to see how how likely is it to be more true than not. You know, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Like, yeah, I'm willing to believe that. I'm, I'm willing to believe that things don't just pop into existence uncaused out of nothing. You know, and then the second premise, well, the universe began to exist. You could begin to marshal philosophical or scientific arguments in defense of that premise. Now, Aquinas doesn't think the philosophical arguments for that premise work, incidentally, but some others do, like Bonaventure was a proponent of it. Uh, Or you might point to sort of Big Bang cosmology and say it looks like, you know, the general consensus, or at least a lot of people seem to think that 13.7 billion years ago, the universe began to exist. Now, maybe we don't know that for sure, but suppose someone was rather convinced of that and said it's, it's more plausibly true that it did, that it never began. 
Well, it would follow from that that the universe has a cause. And if by universe we're talking about anything that's sort of material or energy or within space or within you know time, then the cause would have to be immaterial, spaceless, timeless, unimaginably powerful or all-powerful in order to bring something out of nothing. And that sounds a lot like God. So that might be sort of one way to sort of begin to realize that these arguments, there's a lot to them, and and one shouldn't dismiss them too quickly. I imagine it takes a lot of uh, just patience. I think sometimes theists are far too quick to attribute bad motives to atheists. I think there are many well-meaning atheists who are like, listen to me, I promise you, if God exists, I want to know it. I don't like the idea of dying and never seeing my loved ones again. Like, if this thing you're talking about is real, like, please help me understand. So, yeah, I think that Christians, even though they may have sensed some arrogance in their atheist friends or YouTube interlocutors, not always, but sometimes, well, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be like that. They should sort of try to be like Jesus and love people and be kind to people because they want their good. They want their salvation. Yes. Mm-hmm. I also think it's perfectly reasonable to say I don't know any good arguments for God's existence. It just seems it just seems true to me. That's a good reason for you to believe. It's not a good reason for someone else to believe. You know, because we 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 believe all sorts of things that we don't have justification for. If you were to ask me how I know for a fact that my wife is not a Russian spy, I would say, well, first of all, I know her like as well as I think anyone could know someone. Also, I'm not sure why a Russian spy would be interested in a like Catholic YouTuber. And I'd have like a bunch of reasons, but if you kept pressing me and went, well, okay, that's that's fine, but maybe she's just really good at her job and maybe you just don't know why she's interested in you, doesn't prove she's not a Russian spy. Like, I might be like, look, I, I don't know. Okay, I haven't, I, for fair enough then. I, I can't be convinced. I guess I can offer arguments for why she isn't a Russian spy, but maybe none that will convince you. But I'm still within my epistemic rights to believe something unless I have good reason not to, right? I have good reason to think that the past is real that we didn't just all pop into existence a millisecond ago with memories that of things that never happened food in our stomachs we never ate i mean that's possible but unless there's a good reason to think it's true i i don't i'm not gonna i'm just gonna accept what seems to be the case likewise i think that christians and other theists are within their epistemic epistemic just means the way we come to know things you know they're within their epistemic rights to hold to something that seems to be the case unless there's a compelling reason to abandon that thing now again that's not an argument for why somebody else should believe but it does give you the sort of justification to believe even without evidence yeah i appreciate that so much because i think there can be a lot of fear coming into those conversations that it's not enough that i don't know it's not enough for me to say that I don't know because somehow that makes me a bad Catholic or that person's one chance at hearing the gospel has now disintegrated. I don't know what it is, but we put a lot of pressure on ourselves in those conversations to have the right yeah. answer. So then you think we don't enter the conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But honestly, like while there are people who are not yet believing in God because they do not have intellectual reasons. I do not think that that is anyway close to the majority of people. I mean, we've collectively, as a society, apparently have convinced ourselves that it's always wrong to murder innocent people and abortion is okay. 
Like, we're idiots. Maleness means something, as does femaleness, and yet a male can choose to be a female, and that makes him one. We are idiots. Like, it seems like most of us are just willing to believe what people around us believe. And honestly, that's kind of true with God as well, I think. I think most of us, we maybe have, like, emotional hang-ups when it comes to God's existence. Certainly, people have intellectual hang-ups, and that's that's the beauty of philosophy and apologetics. But I just would want to encourage those who are watching who are like, I'm not good at kind of rattling off arguments. Okay, fine. But but what if you could say to that interlocutor who's challenging you, what if you could say, you know, I, I'm not really good at coming up with arguments for, for God's existence. And that's that's to my shame. But here's what I can tell you. Before I met him, this is what I was like. When I found him, when I encountered him, here's how my life changed. I think that'll do. That's a nice start. Not that it'll do, but it's a nice start. Yeah, we've all got bloody stuff to do. Like, you've got kids to raise and a mortgage to pay. In fact, this is one of the things Aquinas says. When he says, do we need faith to know that God exists? He says, no. But one of the reasons God revealed his existence to us, he says, is that like a lot of us are not bright enough. Like, what are you going to have to study metaphysics and epistemology and then come to these conclusive? Like, it's a, no, it's way easier if God just tells us he exists by revealing himself to us. You know, so like it's okay that an individual isn't good at defending the faith, but someone bloody well better be, you know. Like, we, we need Trent Horns and Scott Hans and Jimmy Akins and... Brant Petras, you know, even if I'm not them, we, we, we do need, someone needs to take up the baton there. And thank God for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gosh, now I'm just sort of thinking about my <laughs> gratitude for the incarnation because the Lord does, mm. he meets us, he initiates, he pursues. In my personal story, that's true, but in the story of human history, salvation history, it's always been that God yeah. goes first and helps us to believe. I think that's right. And when I was walking with my sister, who was an atheist. This was several years after my conversion. I had to kind of at one point stop forcing her to read different books that I was, you know, foisting upon her and just say, listen, why don't you ask God to reveal himself to you? And if you've committed serious sin, repent of it. And she's like, well, I don't know if it's sin. I'm like, okay, but if God says it is, then you might want to consider that it is just in case he does exist Because trying to turn our mind to God without our will isn't necessarily going to be a successful endeavor, you know. And uh, then I stepped out of the way and began to fast, not very heroically, I should add, just giving up a coffee here or there or things like that. And uh, she came to Christ on this one particular trip that I was fasting for her, you know. I mean, there's so many stories like that. Praise God. Wow. You know, I'm I'm thinking of something Father Parks says. He loves to quote uh, Jordan Peterson. Um, I'm, I'm thinking Good about that stuff, story yeah. about your sister and asking her mm-hmm. to repent, right? And even that language kind of is hard for people, repent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But Jordan Peterson puts it, stop doing right now what you know to be wrong. And there is that natural law within us. We know that's not right. So let's just, yeah. let's take the next step and understand that who God is and what this thing is producing in our lives that ultimately isn't pleasing to us or helpful to us, and it's not pleasing to God. Yeah. That's kind of where the repentance That's lovely, comes. Begin yeah. with what you know is wrong and stop doing it and stop saying things that you know are false. Don't, don't tell lies or at least don't speak against the truth. Love him. Love him. Mr. Peterson, what a man. Yeah, me <laughs> too. 
You know, I'm still thinking about something you mentioned. We've been talking a lot about intellectual hangups, but Mm. you said people have emotional hangups too about the existence of God. And I think that's a, a very sacred place. If people give us access to that, to be able not only to speak into, but to to listen to those emotional hangups and just receive people's experience there. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, like I have emotional hangups for belief in God. Like I remember, remember that shooting at Sandy Hook that took place, you know, well, what, seven, eight, nine, I don't know, years ago now. I remember coming home, and this was around Christmas, if you remember, and I said, I just had this awful thought that given that this was around Christmas, it would be likely that many of these parents had wrapped presents for their kids and then hid them somewhere in the house and now would have to do something with those presents. And I just thought about what that looked like and I, I nearly just broke down and wept. When I think about the amount of evil in the world, I find it hard to believe in God. Of course I do. But it's like, so what am I going to do then? Am I just going to say, okay, therefore God doesn't exist? Well, that seems like a bit of a stretch. Like maybe it seems like God doesn't exist because I encounter something sort of like that, emotionally awful. But but maybe maybe I'm wrong. So maybe I should be a little circumspect in my judgment. Maybe I need to say, well, may, maybe God has reasons for permitting evil and suffering. So I think all of us have some sort of hang-ups, but... So I think, yeah, so just walking gently with people who have hang-ups and and really trying to understand where they're coming from. There's nothing worse than when you try to explain where you're coming from to somebody, but they're bent on not losing the argument. So they're not even listening. They're not even they're not even agreeing where they can with you. They're just like, well, no, 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 no. And you're like, oh, God, well, look, this I can't do this. It's meant, so, it's meant so much to me when people have listened to me through my stuff, my emotional hangups. Well, I remember when I shared a couple weeks ago on the podcast, I was struggling for a long time, 10 plus years with doubt. And I actually was introduced to um, atheism by a a coworker. And I would, um, I am on Skype when people would do that on Skype. And he would talk to me about the flying spaghetti monster and would give me books to read on atheism. And it really just opened the door to me believing in this thing that I had never even known was a possibility that God couldn't exist. I think it was such a thing that I needed to like push through out of will. I went to Google and like tried to figure out how would God exist. And I stumbled upon Thomas Aquinas's five ways, which was a little heady for me (laughs) for my little, um, I just needed like some cliff notes version of, of St. Thomas Aquinas. But ultimately Over the past year, I finally started meeting with a spiritual director who, first of all, invited me to bring this doubt to confession. Mm. And I had never even like thought about that. It felt like such a thing that was put on me that I wasn't necessarily willing, but I so willed to get out of it. And she also really encouraged me to think about doubt as like a spirit that was attached to me, to really pray into a deliverance from this and to invite my husband to pray over me, to pray together that this would kind of be off of me, uh, this this spirit of doubt that I've right. recognized for the first time. Instead of it feeling like such a thing <clears throat> that I needed to push through, that really mm. the Lord and the Holy Spirit could have a hand in, in helping me um, feel <clears throat> free from this doubt. 
Well, I think it's a great point because if atheism is true, then the Christian who says, well, this is a spirit, you've got to pray against it. It's like, well, of course the Christian would say that. He's, he's terrified that his worldview is false, and so he'll just chalk up to some invisible Satan. But if Christianity is true, then it follows that we live in a battle, and there are forces who want our absolute destruction. We have demons who prowl about, you know, like a roaring lion, First Peter 5, 8, you know, so the idea that this is merely an intellectual exercise is a false thing to think. Like this is a spiritual battle. And so I think that's a wonderful thing to pray, to renounce doubt, to, uh, to, to confess whatever sort of in, whenever we kind of intend to doubt or whenever we sort of spend time reading literature that's contrary to the faith and that ends up doing damage to our faith, but we're not sort of balancing that or something. Like, I think these are good things to repent of, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a classic Catholic both and. There is prayer that has to happen uh, just in our own lives, but intercession for those people that we want to share the gospel with, um, and to become formed in, in ways to speak to people and just in our own yeah. faith, to strengthen our own faith, but to be able to share it. So I wondered, Matt, if you could share with us any resources uh, that you think might be helpful mm -hmm. for people who want to get a little more established and feel more confident sharing their faith. So I think of Catholic apologetics as a sort of three-story mansion. The first level is theistic apologetics, the second is Christian, and the third is Catholic. So theistic apologetics, does God exist? How do I know this? Second, Christian apologetics is who is Christ? Do we have good reason to think he was whoever he claimed to be? How do we know who he claimed to be? And then is Catholicism true? So people might be sitting here and thinking, you know, I really need to work more on this historicity of Jesus thing. That's, I'm getting more questions about that lately. Okay, well, then that's where you need to sort of invest some time. I think the best website out there for apologetics uh, is catholic.com, Catholic Answers. You can just pour yourself a cup of coffee and type whatever into the search bar, God's existence, the resurrection of Christ, what have you, and just spend a good... Why don't you just dedicate a whole week to watching videos on Catholic Answers about that thing that you have trouble explaining? You could do that. You could listen to my podcast, Pints, pintswithaquinas.com. We have a whole back catalog. You can search, you know, God's existence. We have debates on God's existence on my channel and the historicity of Jesus, things like that. They could look up. Also, I, I know it's very self-promotional, but I, I did write that book called Does God Exist? A Socratic Dialogue on the Five Ways of Thomas Aquinas. And it's written as a fictional dialogue between an atheist and a Catholic who meet in a coffee shop and over the course of a couple of weeks look at arguments for atheism and then go through each of Aquinas' five ways. So it's like a nice way of dipping your feet into heady philosophical waters when you have a more of a platonic back and forth going on. That's fascinating. I can't wait to read that. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you give me your address, I'd happy to ship you one. Even just hearing those three levels is so helpful for yes. me. Just to know kind of where people are at and, and where our own yeah, yeah. maybe weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because to get to that point earlier, if you're hanging out of the third story window shouting about the assumption of Mary to someone sitting out on the lawn. It's like, okay, they haven't even entered the first floor yet. You're going to have to it, like come down and help guide them in, at least from an intellectual perspective. Yes. That's so great. Well, Matt, we're so grateful uh, for you taking the time and forming us and mm -hmm. uh, 
just sharing your heart for the Lord, for the church. Could I ask you um, to close us with a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. O good and gracious God, we place ourselves in your presence. We thank you that you love us, and that not just that, but that you like us, that you apparently thought it was worth dying than risking spending eternity without me. I thank you that you don't just look at us like a clump of humanity, but that you see us individually and you know us and you love us. And I ask that you would help us believe that, believe in your love so that we uh, can then respond to it. Help us to see how beautiful you are so that we won't be able to help falling in love with you and untwist the lies that we've believed about you and ourselves and our Christian walk. Speak truth to us so that we can have life and have it to the full. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Matt, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us. You're welcome. (laughs) Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Matt. Great to meet you. See you later. See you soon. (laughs) Bye-bye.